welcome to the Geek Saga podcast series, Hot D Takes, covering HBO's House of the Dragon, episode by episode. I'm Tara Lynn of Geek Saga Entertainment, and welcome to Hot D Takes. This podcast has covered HBO's House of the Dragon episode by episode with myself, an avid reader of all things Ace Woff, and my friend Manny, a Game of Thrones fan who is unsullied, aka has never read the books, being your stalwart host. So first things first, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at a Geek Saga. And I am Manny, the aforementioned Unsullied co-host, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Benissimo Art. Thanks for joining us for this 11th and final episode in our series on the first season of House of the Dragon. As a reminder, expect spoilers from the entirety of Hot D Season 1. But less obvious, there will be very minimal book spoilers from Fire and Blood, which is, of course, the source material for House of the Dragon, but only for the parts of the book that the show has covered so far. We will start by highlighting some of our favorite hot takes from the series and then dive into further discussion on our favorite and maybe least favorite characters, favorite episodes, and conclude with our overall rating of the season. And speaking of ratings, we have a rating system that we, like true Targaryens, fill in when and where we please. And that system includes rating things on a scale of 1 to 10 Targ eyebrows. Now, in honor of this being our season summary episode, we are joined by four special guests. Allie, Jason, Patrick, and Tommy. Guys, where can everyone find you on social media, if anywhere? All right, I'm Allie. I go by Black Allie Blackwood in the fandom. Um, my my social media isn't extremely uh, ASWAF based, but my Instagram is Quackenbush with two H's for no reason, and it mostly highlights my travels. And I'm Black Allie Blackwood on Twitter. Hi, I'm Jason uh, Cavolden. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as Jason Cavolden. Uh, the Lone Wolf Guardian. Hello, I'm Patrick Fortune, and I still don't have an Instagram or anything else, so you can't find me. I am Tomas Papas, uh, otherwise known as Tommy. I am the host of New Dad Podcast and uh, the TMC Podcast. I uh, can be found on Instagram at TommyBoy56 or at the New Dad Pod and all over uh, YouTube at the TKOK Podcast Network. Okay, so just a quick reminder on some of our Hot D Takes nicknames before we dive in. First, we have Aegon II, hereafter referred to as Baby Gon. Amond, who we will usually call Amond, but sometimes also might refer to as Hello, fellow young Targaryens. And Alicent, who we may or may not bring up as bitch-ass Alicent. And don't forget Kristen Cole of Sir Cole of House Law. Damon as Matt Damon. Arwen Strong as Baby Daddy of the Year, Larry Strong as Larry's Little Footer, Otto Hightower as Good Old Otto, and Viserys, Phantom of the Iron Throne, and Rhaenyra, My Life, My Love. Okay, I added that one. Okay. <laughs> well, we also can't forget a couple other nicknames for, you know, not people, those being that hideous wheelhouse which we call the Mobile Igloo, and that weird ship enclosure that looks like the Mobile Igloo, which is called the Shigloo. Again, we are super excited to have all of our guests join us. And just one last piece of business before we dig in. Don't forget that Geek Saga Entertainment now has a Patreon with 10 tiers ranging from $1 a month to $40 a month. It offers tons of ways to support us and receive some great perks in return, including early access to these Hot Takes 
podcast episodes, all possible future Hot D Takes podcast episodes, and probably some more podcast episodes that I haven't even thought about yet. So you can check it out at patreon.com slash geeksaga underscore entertainment. And now it's time to delve in to the hottest of hottest takes of the season. Okay, so one thing that like struck out to me was when Rhaenyra swore on her mother that she didn't do anything with Damon, while Allison had mean like up to that point been so about her mom. Like Otto says, she looks like her mom, and she's like, I come here to pray and be close to my mother. Blah blah blah. So my hot take is that Allison needs to really, really slap Rhaenyra for that. Hot take. I know we're Rhaenyra fans, but she deserves it. She lied on her mom. Yeah, I loved when she was like, "This is the highest of treasons." <laughs> like girl calm down. I've got my two takes. My hot take is that I think Luke's death fell a little flat for me. Where I think a lot of people felt it was a, this very powerful moment in the in the show, it fell a little flat for me. My funny hot take is how about we get a little bit more of the child fighting pits with the I don't think we got enough of those with the shaved down fingers and the filed teeth. So hot take more of the child fighting pits i mean why not yeah yeah i mean i mean why not really sure i mean i i understand why some people would would go there i wouldn't personally but i respect you for you know for your opinion (laughs) i mean i think if they were going to bring them back the only thing i would like to see is them actually policing and breaking them down no I'm, I'm going the opposite way there was this show on spike a long time ago and it was like a ufc show where you would get like two teams of fighters and you got to know the fighters really well and you put them against each other. Uh, I'd say like a little, maybe a spinoff with the children for that. Like as having, <laughs> uh, being a dad of a, as a four and a two year old, right. I'm watching my kids fight all the time. You know, I think that there's a lot of, I think they're really not tapping into this audience of parents who, you know, see this sort of thing every day and, and can relate yeah. to it. I mean, yeah. you're not wrong. Kids fight, but also, yeah. And, and I feel like whoever did that scene is not apparent because, like, whatever I saw looks like what I see on a day-to-day between my two sons just fighting over, like, the new hot toy in the house. Uh, you know, a little hissing, a little, like, snarling, some grabbing back and forth. Uh, you I don't, don't have know. a fireplace, I... do you? Uh, well, you know, we don't, we don't here, but we do soon. Uh, we're, oh, we're, no. we're moving into a place with fireplaces, so... Uh, but no, we have like a contained room for them to just basically be as wild as they want. Like, do you file their teeth down, or is it just amateur hour? Here's the thing, you know, like uh, kids are weird, and uh, both my kids kind of don't enjoy having their nails clipped. So to clip their toenails or their fingernails is just like it's a task, right? So you know, like they get pretty long. Uh, you know, like I feel like there's been times where they could climb some trees very independently. Uh, just putting some some gnarly nails into the tree. Uh, so yeah, it's a you know they get pretty sharp, and if you can hold one down and clip their nails, you can come on over and and give it a try. Um, Papa's house is taking auditions for toenail clippers. All I can say is don't give the older sibling a night toy that the younger sibling might covet if you have fireplaces. Oh, you're talking <laughs> a little a, Thandory. That's a Game of Thrones it, reference, it yeah. <laughs> Take us to that Sandor tie. Yeah, no. Uh, it's no, always sure. Sandor with me. <laughs> yeah, Jeb, like, l- luckily, uh, as rough as they are, they're both like, you know, they're, I, we don't have a Gregor or a Gregor in the house yet. Yeah. <laughs> Mac- yeah that, uh, we're not done. I, I, don't think, I don't think we're done. So, like, we could still, who knows. 
Oh, all right, all right. Favorite hot take, honestly, it's... God, you know, King Viserys, you know, I think is somebody who is like really, as much as I like talk a lot about Matt Damon, because I love Matt Damon so much in this, King Viserys is like, he really connected with me. Like not, not only, you know, just he's a good actor and stuff, but like as a parent, because of the way he was, right? Because I have a daughter and I treat my daughter because my daughter is trans and I treat my, as my son, you know, and, and I always, I always tell them, you know, take the, uh, the reins of the house, you know, when I'm gone one day. And so I, I love that he like respected that he didn't, he didn't give a fuck that it was like, you know, oh, well, no, uh, no woman has ever sat on, on the throne. He doesn't gonna fucking care about that shit. He's like, fuck you. That's my fucking blood right there. And they'll, they'll fucking sit on that throne. Right. So like, I love that. And then the way he would like break up situations, you know, even when fucking Amon lost an eye with my kids, they'll fight and they get super heated and they don't really ever get physical, but they get very kind of mean to each other. And I just bust in and I don't listen to anyone's side of the story. I'm like, look, it's fucking done right now. Everybody apologize. And we're going to fucking forget about this and move forward period. And he did that in that scene, right? When everybody was kind of like bickering and stuff. And I loved it. Like I totally connected with him. I mean, the chaotic part of me connects with Damon, of course, but as like a real person, like Viserys, there was something about him that he was just so like long suffering, I guess. Right. Like he just always wanted to do the right thing. Did he always do it right? No, of course not. He let other people kind of change his mind a little too easily. He was a little too easily swayed in like different directions. But I think overall he wanted to do like a really, he just wanted to do a good job. And it always drives me nuts when, you know, when in that scene, when he's like, oh, well, you know, I didn't do anything and I was a bad king because I didn't like defend them. And I look at him, I'm like, bro, you fucking crazy? Like, you're a great king. Like, there was no wars. There was no rebellion. There was nothing that, like, happened under your watch because you were a good fucking king. That's why. you. It's not that you didn't do anything. It's that you did everything pretty pretty good, like, pretty right. So, yeah, my, my hot take, man, is, like, fucking Viserys, you know? Like, I'm gonna fucking miss that guy. I don't wanna miss him. Oh, funniest hot takes, Amon. Amon, my boy. He's probably, he's probably my age, you know, like <laughs> it makes me feel really good because I wanted to dress up as either, you know, Viserys. And then I was like, well, no, I'll do Damon because I want to do the armor. And then now I'm thinking about, I'm like, no, I think I need to do Amon because I think it's going to fit me perfectly. Fucker looks like he's fucking 45 years old hanging out with these like 15 year olds. Like, hey guys, yeah, we're only a few years apart. P.S. <laughs> hello. Hello. Fellow young Targs. Yeah. Hello. The yeah, exactly. Is- <laughs> Ewan Mitchell, and he is 25 years old. Really? Damn. You know, I mean, look, he's a good-looking guy. He looks good. He has great presence, right? Like, when he's... When he's, he's been there, sneaking I, into I clubs since he was a baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's out there, he so- was out there buying beer. He was doing all that stuff, man, you know? Somehow, Tom Glenn Carney, who plays Aegon, is act- Baby Gon, is actually 27 years old. What? I know, right? I- I'm assuming a lot of... Uh, of us have seen the uh, the meme where Aemon looks like Zoolander. No, I have yeah. not. No, I did see that. I haven't okay. either. Yeah. Oh, so it's really good. To me, I was just wondering if anyone else has gotten a Edward Scissorhands vibe from Aemon. I feel that. Yeah. I, I feel like an an Aemon Scissorhand costume cosplay would be really good. I'm never going to get that image out of my head now. <laughs> I am just waiting for Ice and Fire Con next year. I need somebody to cosplay Amond as Steve Buscemi doing like the hello, fellow young kid. I like, totally want to do But it. instead That's, of the skateboard on the shoulder, it. it's a dragon, dragon, right? And the sweatshirt and it like everything about it is Targaryen themed, no. but with Amon. I'm totally like, down I for that. that. I want to do it like 100%, dude. I love I it. Amond as a. 
as a Zoolander being like, this dragon needs to be at least three times this size. <laughs> <laughs> what is this, a dragon for ants? A dragon for ants? <laughs> My hot take is also, like Manny, uh, I'm going to go with Viserys, but I'm not going to go as King Viserys. I'm going to go with Viserys, the man, the, the father, the husband. For him, being king was probably easy. Being a father for him was hard. Because he always wanted to do right by his family. And episode eight, uh, The Lord of Tides, is probably my personal favorite episode because it, it's Viserys' episode. At the, you know, at the end of the day, all he wanted was to have a happy, peaceful moment with his family. And despite the fact that it was short, but it was beautifully done. And for him, just to see everyone happy and, and Allison and Renera just putting their differences aside and actually coming together and the kids laughing and, and dancing. Hell, even good old Otto was getting into it. I mean, it's good old Otto. <laughs> but for me, just seeing that moment for him, and honestly enough, if Patty does not win an award next year for his performance as Viserys, I, I am going to be very disappointed. A hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, there were and, real tears during that feast. Like real tears. My uh, funny hot take, I'm going to say, is probably I'm going to give it to Sir Harold because every time he eyeballed Sir Christian Cole, especially uh, with episode what was it episode seven when all the kids are arguing and fighting and everyone's explaining what happened. And basically uh, Sir Christian Cole's like looking over and mocking Renera, And he, it's, you could see Sir Harold looking at him and he's like, don't make me come over there. Actually, I should do it in the voice. He's like, don't you make me come over there, Sir Christian Cole. I will slap you three days from Sunday. I will do it. Because honestly enough, you're like, I think he had a hard time having Sir Christian Cole around after he knew what he did. And actually probably was there because he saw it at the wedding fight. It was just funny. I just love him when he's eyeballing him. And I'm hoping next season that we get to see Sir Harold back. Harold Wesseling, the Lord Commander, really didn't get enough screen time this season, particularly for the actor who is playing him. So I'm hoping they will... Uh add to that in the future i don't know if this one is like would i felt if i would call it my hottest take but i think it is something that bears mentioning um it seems to me that this show and the people running it have learned a lot of lessons from game of thrones um (laughs) one example being how it handled the subject of sexual assault Um, um in game of thrones you know i think about I think it was in season six when Sansa married Ramsey and on their wedding night, Ramsey rapes Sansa. And we, as the audience see it, we, we, we are forced to focus on Theon and his reaction to it. And I remember there was a lot of criticism about, well, why are we focusing on the man here instead of the actual victim of this heinous act, which is Sansa? We're being asked to like feel bad for Theon, but, but, not really focus on the real victim. And I mean, yeah, we should feel bad for Theon, um, but I think there is something to that criticism. And so you compare that to House of the Dragon when Aegon assaults Diana and how they handle that. I mean, it's told completely from the perspective of the women in that situation. Um, and uh, you have that moment where Alicent says, you know, I believe you. 
And whether she means that or not, I mean, that tea she sent her later could have been poison. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah. it, it, it is, a, I think, a stark contrast uh, in the way the show handled um, a really serious subject. And I'm sorry if I like brought the mood down with that, but I think that it was something that needed to be mentioned. As far as my funny one goes, I can't believe nobody mentioned Lyra's foot fapper because what in the actual hell was that? Come on. I mean, when she was started, when Allison started to like take her feet out, I was like, oh, she's just tired of wearing, you know, uncomfortable shoes all day. And then he started no, I, manipulating himself, shall we say. And I was like, oh, okay then. Yeah, I was just, I'm saving a lot of that for favorite character. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> An absolute miss. You're 100 percent right. Like, how could I forget the foot fetish of House of the Dragon? Like, I can tell you exactly why because our brain just made it, made us forget about it. Is what <laughs> Nobody happened. wants to talk about foot gate. No one wants, okay? Yeah, no one wants to talk about foot gate. We don't okay? talk about foot gate. No, no. Ooh, here's a bonus hot take. The foot scene is the equivalent of the modern day. Like, he died for our sins because Jesus didn't have to die for our sins. The writers didn't have to give us that, but they did because they love us. So they gave us that too. Okay, so another bonus hot take for you. That was the only scene throughout this entire show that I felt broke my stride. Because everything in this show and everything that the writers have done, it's like the same thing with like the child fighting pit. Did I see children fight? No. Did I take it just as seriously? Yes, absolutely. Because they give me a little bit. They didn't insult my intelligence. They they knew that they can give me a little bit and my brain would take it the rest of the way. And I feel like that's what these writers have just done so fucking well, right? It was like that same thing going back to that episode where he kills the uh, crab guy. And there was no fight scene. There was no nothing. He just walks out with this dead body and... To me, I was like, wow, that's so fucking powerful. The writers are like, look, you know they're going to fight. You know who's going to win. It's not the fucking point, you know? And I think that that's... And I and and I think the, the entire show has done that. They've given me these little seeds, and my brain just makes it grow on its own. And I'm like, oh, I know I know what they're doing, right? They, 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 they just kind of water me a little bit. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I see what's going on here. And then, like, with that scene, I was like, look, bro, you could have done the one angle where I knew... It was kind of where it was going and then just kind of like left it there. But the fact that they like stuck on it so long, it was like the way it feels to me, it was like a, it was just it was a race car getting stuck in the mud is what it was. And it was like, uh, OK, you know, you like I get moment. it. Yeah, it pulled me out of the moment. It made me it made me remember that it was a show and that these people were actors. You know, I got lost. I got lost in it. My hottest of the hot D takes is welcome to our TED talk on how to unbury your gaze. I <laughs> am so glad that they did not kill off Lenor. I will go oh, yeah. into what this might mean for things in the future when we talk about kind of like questions about the future and theories later, but for now, for the moment, you see that whole scene and it's it was kind of confusing, right? Because you see Damon kill some like random dude on the stairs and you're like, what the fuck is going on? After he crime cloaked his way over to Lenor's current lover, you're meant obviously to think that this is what's happening, that Rhaenyra asked Damon to orchestrate Lenor's death and that he is going to die and then you see damon kill this guy in the stairs and you're like what the fuck is happening and you see the fight between lanor and his boy who isn't just a friend and you're like 
okay. And you don't see the end of it. The next thing you see is Corliss and Rainey's. They're all freaking out because, like, the burned supposed Lenor is half in the fireplace, whatever. And then at the very end of the episode, just randomly, there's, like, some dudes getting in a boat. And one of them has a shaved head. And you're like, oh, shit, that guy. Oh, shit, that guy looks familiar. What's later? Okay. So I'm really, really glad that they didn't just kill him. Again, I feel like this might have some effect on future things. We'll get into that later. But I am still just so glad that they didn't kill him, especially considering his sister died, like, right after that. Let's not kill all of the Bebe Valarian. When it comes to funniest hot takes, that's a little harder. I think I'm torn between the mobile igloo. <laughs> I was going to say that is a mobile igloo. Here it comes, no, guys. I just had to mention the mobile igloo, but no. As much as I like to make fun of the mobile igloo, I think my funniest hot take is either it's all fun and games till somebody loses an eye, just because I thought that was a real funny hot take wording. But the kiddo gang fight wasn't that funny. So I think I need to go with, and this is from episode four. Hey there, Red Keepers. Good old Otto here, the one and only Hand of the King and keeper of trusted sources of information. As you know, Big D is back in town, and it turns out that the idea of every little girl wanting adventure even extends to our dragon-riding princess. She was spotted with Big D last night, and as I know you're going to make me say it, they were in a pleasure house coupling talk about behaviors unbecoming of a maiden even or especially a royal one you know you love me xoxo good old gossip auto and i don't even need to describe why that would be my favorite funny hot take because i wrote it and i'll be honest this is me being like patting myself on the back good job terry you did well with that one congratulations Moving on from our hottest of the hot takes, I wanted to be like, who are your hottest characters? But I feel like that's, obviously we all think certain characters are attractive, but favorite characters so far, it can be someone who's dead for these particular purposes. So, I mean, it's easy to say Rhaenyra, right? Because she's so awesome. But um, I wrote down Alicent because she really represents one thing that this show does extremely well which is making the characters really complex and very nuanced and very, very difficult to say, okay, I hate them or I love them. Alicent represents that really well. We went from this really good friend of Rhaenyra to this person who has like these strange religious problems with Rhaenyra's behavior, probably stemming a lot out of jealousy because Rhaenyra gets to go around and bang whoever she wants, uh, whereas Alicent is kind of like trapped in her situation. And so I can understand there being jealousy there, but she takes it to this place that like, it, it's almost like the war starts over <laughs> Alicent's jealousy of Rhaenyra. But then you go back and you have these moments of reconnecting. They're finding those last remnants of that friendship that they used to have. You see that in the dinner scene when they like toast each other. And the moment when Viserys dies, she's sitting in that small council room and like 90% of the room is like, yeah, we're going to kill Rhaenyra. And like, that's, that's already settled. Uh, so let's go on and talk about some other details. And she's like, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, we don't need to kill Rhaenyra. I just love that she she seems to be someone that is not a bad person, but she listens to the wrong people. <laughs> Religious leaders, perhaps, and her father. And I will just leave it at that. 
Good old auto. I will say it harkens back to, I believe it was episode four, King of the Narrow Sea, when Damon comes back and they're all kind of hanging out, I don't know, at some party or something, who knows, and... Allison is like, oh, we got these really great tapestries as gifts. Would you like to see them? And Viserys like makes fun of her, which is one of the few times I was <laughs> oh, like, God. fuck you, Viserys. Like, really? Yeah, that was me. Come on, man. Don't me. be a dick. And Rhaenyra <laughs> says, I would like to see the tapestries. I mean, there were these like little moments of hopeful possible reconciliation that right. never exactly. really, they, they didn't bake long enough, right? None of them baked right. long enough olivia cook is an amazing actress i just wanted to say she's probably my favorite actor of the whole show kind of put a bit of a fun take into that take you were just saying considering enough when he was talking about tapestries it started reminding me of that scene in indiana jones in the last crusade and considering (laughs) enough i kept expecting like indiana jones to just come out of nowhere and punch viserys in the face (laughs) he's like how dare he my favorite character i mean i can't get around it but my favorite character is daddy damon uh as far as i'm concerned he can do no wrong like do i love him choking out his wife a little bit no but he's just he's just you know he's a slave to his emotions i just love him I think he is, like Patrick was saying, I think he's gray. I think he's nuanced. I think he's just this person who really has an idea of how things should go in his head. And he's not afraid to execute them exactly as he sees fit. I think his wiggly long dragon is so cute. I want to take him home. We call him the we windy boy. We do stay in the windy boy, boy yeah. That should have been in the nicknames. The windy mm. boy. Fuck. The windy boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've just seen so many nicknames for Caraxes at this point. I love every single one of them. He's just so long. And uh, I love myself a tragic king. Like a few weeks ago, I got King Henry VIII's signature tattooed on my body. Tragedy? <laughs> you, you do a couple evil things, like I'm yours for life. And I think it's totally unfair that a lot of his actual really good scenes have been cut. Scenes with him like hugging his yeah. daughters after Lena died. I was reading about that. And he like is crying on the beach and stuff, right? Yeah, and like have seen that meme. He's mil- just a tortured oh. soul. Like he has so much love, but he's just a little bit evil, you know? <laughs> he's just a rogue. I have exes like that. <laughs> Don't we all? Is that is that a classic <laughs> The rogue exes. That should be yeah. <laughs> good stuff. I mean, for Renera, that would be a great episode. <laughs> yeah, favorite character, Eddie Damon, hands down. I mean, the, he's just a really complex character. There's things that he does that I'm just like, oh my God, you're fucking crazy. I wouldn't do that. And then there's just things about him that I'm just like, look, I love the concept of just being, you know, man a few words and like more action when he takes off that dude's head for talking shit for fucking around and the guy found out like i loved it because that's what i would have done i'd have been like why am i going to argue with this asshole like he's clearly he's just a, a dog that needs to get put down and just fucking kill him you know and then with the fucking crab feeder he's just like whatever walks in there takes a few arrows drags out this dude and then but then there's another side to him that's like very complex right like because he comes off as like this kind of badass asshole but then when Viserys is trying to get to the throne and he's like tripping and falling and he like, picks up the crown for him and like helps him up. Like it was a very brotherly thing to do, you know? And like, you can tell he like, he loves his brother. I don't know. I think his character is, I didn't know how to like take him sometimes. It's like, I loved him and I hated him at the same time. But yeah, I think that he was easily my favorite character just because of the three dimensionalism that, that he has, you know, where it's like, I can relate to that. Right. Because it's like, you know, we all have this, like, okay, this is who we kind of are. You know, this is, 
probably the hardest category for me. Uh, I joked that I wanted to save a lot of stuff for Laris, but in the books, I really was a legitimate. I just I loved Harwin strong. I loved Lara strong. I kind of wish like we got more from Harwin, like a lot of people. And Laris just really, to me, is just an intriguing person. Saving a lot of spoilers uh, or, or setting them aside, even his role in. in what we see in season one, to me, I think, is, is interesting and compelling. Uh, but if I had to pick a favorite character, I guess, and, and this is, I, I would agree a lot with what everyone said with, you know, Rhaenyra and Allison, the actresses uh, that portrayed all of those characters and actors. Uh, I'm going to go with Rainey's Eve Bass. She is probably consistently my favorite character, and I would agree with Jason 100% that my favorite episode was episode eight, but maybe one of my favorite moments was in the last episode when the sea snake is back and he's speaking with Rainey's and you, you see he kind of defers to her in that moment. It's like, hey, well, what you know, we could just go and retire back to high tide and we'll just sit this out. And she's like, dude, no, like our, our grandchildren are married to Luke and Jace. We can't do that. And he defers to her. I, I just really love that moment. You know, and I think the actress, Yves, has been strong in every scene I, I've seen her in. And, and honestly, probably the one scene that is my least favorite was the coronation scene. But everything else, and, and I have no problem with the way the actress portrayed the scene or, or acted out that scene, just some choices in, in the scene itself. But yeah, I, I, I'm going to say Rainey's Yves. One thing that kind of didn't make a whole lot of sense to me was the fact that we went from Rainey's like hating Rhaenyra because she assumes that Rhaenyra like had her son killed to I'm proud of you. You go girl. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to personally take my dragon out to fight your war for you and like blockade the bay and stuff. To me, that didn't really mesh very well. But what did you guys think about that? I think that's a bone, you know, that's a, a justifiable bone to pick with uh, with that, I to be totally honest, I would have liked to have seen some sort of something where you know Renera's like, "Hey, Lenor's alive," and Corliss is like, "I saw Lenor when I was in the Stepstones. He's yeah. you know he's good. You know yeah, something along good. those lines." Because that would explain to me where she's the switch or the how easy. And, and part of me is just I I view Rainey's as very pragmatic. And I think that despite everything, she kind of sees what the score is and ultimately what she has left are her granddaughters. And now she sees like the way the chips fell, like this is where we are and we have to kind of, you know, we, ha I, I have a dragon, you have the fleet of Driftmark and we have to protect our granddaughters. Yeah, no, I really think that when they had that conversation in the Godswood and Rhaenyra was like, I had nothing to do with Lainer's death. I don't know that Rainey's believed her in that moment. But then right after that, Rhaenyra offered the betrothal between her sons and Rainey's granddaughters. And I think that Rainey's at the first was like, no, I don't want this. But then she saw what was happening with Vaymond. And I do think she cares, even though she's upset about the fact that Rhaenyra might have had something to do with it. Her son certainly didn't. So I think she cares about the safety of 
her step grandsons, shall we call them? And she definitely cares about the future of her granddaughters. And she sees that if they cut Vaymond out of the picture and betroth her granddaughters to Rhaenyra's sons, all she cares about is keeping her family safe. And to be honest, for that reason, I agree with Tommy. Rainey's is definitely top three for me. Possibly number two. Personally, I'm going to go with Helena. She came late to the game, episode-wise. Good choice, good choice. She's weird, right? I am still a little bit torn about how they're doing this Danny's the Dreamer thing with her, but I love her weirdness. I love her obsession with bugs. She's my spider Gwen. Spider Helena in episode eight, the Lord of the Tides episode, when they're all doing the toasts and she stands up and she like gives the toast to Jace and Bela and she's like, you know, you'll get married. Congratulations. Like, hopefully he won't bug you too much. Haha, bug. I didn't even mean to make that pun, but I did. (laughs) She has been just kind of on top of all the shit and she's so just different from what was expected from the way she's written in Fire and Blood because in Fire and Blood she's a side character for a very long time they don't really say much about her other than she is not as attractive a little more heavier set she's kind of the side Targaryen right but I love that they're giving her something more in the show and I don't know I just I love her she's so she and she's so sweet as far as we can tell granted I don't know what'll happen in the future honestly because this is in fact like a very different character from the way she's written in the books but I have loved her so far I've loved every little weird moment she had on screen and I fucking loved her toast because she like dropped it she dropped the mic with her fucking relationship with baby gone and he deserved it obviously so my favorite character if i have to say has to be renera but i'm gonna go with older renera mostly enough because this is someone who has been over the years she has seen how things have become how she has been treated and even then in the finale the thing i noticed most was during those scenes with her she's alone she has always been alone She doesn't have her father anymore, and she's doing the birth by herself. She doesn't want anyone helping her. And even when the birth is over and her child is dead, she's doing the the ceremony, but with the wrapping all by herself. No one is assisting her. No one's helping her because she doesn't want it because she's always been alone and she's had to do things for herself and everything. And I feel like, you know, near that end, she was like questioning it. Was she ready for to be queen? And then when the crown is presented to her and people are kneeling to her and saying, listen, we are with you. You are our queen. It gives her a sense of confidence and says, this is mine. This is my right. This is my place. This is what people are expecting of me. And now I must become what I was chosen to do. So for me, that that is my favorite character right there. Now it's time. Instead of doing favorites roundup, it's just a favorite moment of the season. So we've talked about our hottest slash yeah i guess favorite whatever even if they aren't hot characters what is your favorite moment of season one pretty much all of my favorite moments either revolve around daddy damon or a dragon but like i just think my most favorite moment when i think on it the one that just like 
tingled my brain was to episode two when um, Rhaenyra and Damon have their meet off on Dragonstone. And she says it to him. She's like, if you want, if, if you want to be heir, you're just gonna have to kill me. So just do it already. And he just kind of like looks over his shoulder and stares at her with a look that could kill me. And then just tosses the egg at her. I just think every single thing about those like four seconds rocked my world. Just between the threat and then the way he looked at her and then the way he just threw the egg, the way she caught it, she put it back on the brazier. Oh my God, I a chef's kiss. Let's be honest, like good pitch, good catch. Yes! <laughs> it works on so many levels. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick what I think a lot of people are going to pick, which is the moment where Damon helps Viserys and, and places the crown on his head. That was, you know, probably one of the more emotional moments. In that that was totally improvised, by the way. Yeah, I read that. Credit again to um, Matt Smith for doing that in the moment. But uh, yeah, it was just uh, a powerful moment. And I'll say I'm not quite the Damon stand that a lot of people are, but I think the show has done a great job of graying characters. And that means... There were certain characters when I read Fire and Blood that I felt were very maybe more white and they're coming out darker watching the show or I saw them as very black, you know, clearly black and they're coming out a little bit lighter in, in the portrayal of the show. So, or uh, green, shall yeah, we say. Green, yeah, exactly. <laughs> black and green is probably more apropos. Um, but yeah, look, give me that moment. I know it's a very basic moment. And, and I said the death of Luke fell short for me earlier as, as my hot take, but I would put a, a, you know, a very close runner up, even with that being said, that shot of Vagar over, you know, Arax cinematically was just a great eerie feeling. It's Yeah, that was art. like a horror movie. Yeah. And it's it, it, what it reminded me of is, you know, those shots you see them sometimes of like surfers and you see the shark, the dark like mm-hmm. shark, like kind of underneath the water and you just yeah, see yeah. kind of like the shadow of it or even, you know, surfers and there's like a giant whale underneath them and it's kind of like from higher up and you just get the... It was Jurassic World with the Mosasaur. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I was yeah. glad to see it because in all honesty, I didn't know that the dragons were different sizes that like scale, that much. Yeah. I thought that they were just relatively close to each other. Like so to see that size and then even after the season was over, like I went online just to try to get like a size comparison chart <laughs> of dragons, you know, Readily to see and, yeah, they're out there. Yeah. And it was a little <laughs> mind blowing because I was like, wow, I thought if you had a dragon, like you were just the shit and that's it. Who gives a fuck? Right. But then it's like, but that guy has like the Cadillac of dragons. So which makes no. auto statement like after you know uh Eamon loses his eye and he kind of like auto has that line where he's like it was a fair trade basically because what that yeah. you know, what that rogue did for us is you know it was unbelievably valuable down the road so an eye is a small price to pay for it and he, uh, he was absolutely right i didn't understand that at first until yeah. i saw the size of the dragon i was like oh okay so i'm getting like the suburban then oh okay yeah that's fine for sure. And, and just to defend my, my hot take of why I thought it fell flat, and, and I can do this very, very shortly, but I say that not because the scene was poor or anything, but because I just felt like maybe some of the time jumps, one of the costs that we kind of paid in that was getting to know the younger characters, especially the strong kid. You know, or I keep calling them the strongest, but they are the strong, the strong boys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Luke and Jay. The series would have your tongue for I know, I know. <laughs> this is such a weird thing, and I have I had a really hard time up until the show admitting this. I was always, as a reader, a fan of 
Renera and Eamon. And I felt so conflicted and weird about that. And even like, I couldn't admit it totally, but that is the truth. And that's, uh, I think maybe for some reason, just the, the job that the actors and actresses have done has just made me feel more comfortable admitting that. Yeah. But yeah, no. So I, I do feel that we, we miss something in having to do the time gaps. And, you know, I know that there was a rumored request from Georgia to do 13 episodes. I feel like the, the series would have benefited greatly in, in the grand scope of things. If we're just asking for a couple more episodes, that's, I think that's not the worst gripe. So that's my take. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that had something to do with them not knowing for sure that it would be picked up considering how badly Game of Thrones ended. I think they were worried about how this would be received. And they wanted to tell a story. It would still have obviously left it on tender hooks if they don't have a season two, but... Well, I'm just really glad that Tommy did two and cheated and did two because I could not narrow it down to one myself. So I talked about it on my first episode with you guys. And listening back, I said the phrase, I'm a nerd for prophecies like 12 times. And I'm going to say it again. I'm a big nerd for prophecy stuff. I just love it. And so the very end of episode one, when Viserys is telling Rhaenyra about, you know, the Song of Ice and Fire and how this has been passed down through the Targaryen heirs for a couple hundred years at this point we know in this world that prophecies are never 100 correct and this one certainly is not we know it's not because he says basically in order to defeat the white walkers there has to be a targaryen on the throne and we know that that's not how it happened but i just love that i think it's really cool especially when they wove in the that targaryen theme music that we knew from game of thrones i just thought the awesome the awesome moment i guess my runner-up or second moment would be the opening of episode nine because it's just, it is so anxious and so harrowing because we know that the very last thing that happened in the last episode was that the king died. And you're like, okay, now, now is when it's going to go down. And those very first moments where Allison finds out and she's very careful about who knows who has the information at what time, there's something just so tense about it. And I just thought it was awesome and really well done. For me, I have to say it has to be episode nine, uh, Aegon's coronation, because from the buildup where he's coming in, he totally does not want to be there. And he's talking to Allison and Allison is trying to tell him, you need to do this. You need to take control. You need to do this. You need to also spare Renera and her family. Otherwise, there's going to be a bloodbath. And he's like, you know, I, I, I don't want this. You know I don't want this. And I even love the fact that he asked her, do you love me? And she's like, don't be an imbecile, okay? Even then, seeing all the people getting shoved into the uh, into the room for the coronation, and he gets out there, the crown is placed on him. And, of course, everybody's cheering and everything, and he's like, okay, you know, wait, hang on, I like this. People are acknowledging me. People are... <laughs> I said to myself, oh, God, this is going to go straight to his head when uh, all the people are cheering for him, and he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then the, the dragon popping out, I did not see that happening. I just did not. It, it was just it was just a crazy scene and everything, and you could have thought, oh, it could have just been over right then and there, but then, you know, she it doesn't happen. She could have just ended it with one word, but she didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, that, then we'd have no more seasons. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. know. No, I agree. I agree. It was super powerful. Maybe not in a good way because, ew, baby gone. Yeah. Oh, shit. Rapist. But also him being just not wanting. I didn't want it. Uh, he, <laughs> does, he doesn't want it. But 
then he hears all these people cheering him on and he like raises the sword and it's like I'm not saying this is my favorite moment. It's not, but you're right. It was really, it was powerful. Maybe not in a good way for me, but it was still very powerful. Speaking of powerful moments, my favorite moments are like hearkening back to episode three, second of his name, when Rhaenyra kills the boar. But I'm also on the edge of like is it her killing the boar or is it her being the one who sees the white stag and tells them to spare it because i think both of those things just did a lot for rhaenyra's character like she is strong she is powerful she is absolutely gonna stab a boar like she doesn't need Kristen cole to protect her thank god Sir Cole of House Slop tip to it was really, really exciting and great to see her take part in that in an active way and not just be like maiden in distress, bleh. And then when they do see the white stag, and there's that question of like, well, should we kill it? Because isn't this the stag they're looking for? Meanwhile, like it's juxtaposed with her father literally like barely being able to kill the regular stag that they caught for him and she says to let it go i kind of feel like those two can be combined into a favorite moment so that's what i'm going with so i have a few favorite moments um of course dan <laughs> you know we can't just do one <laughs> no it's really hard because it's like two of them really concern damon and then one of them is someone else but like with damon it was you know the crown falling and him helping his brother and then killing like the uh, crab feeder Right. Because the crab feeder was like supposed to be so feared or like so whatever. And I just loved that concept, you know, because one thing that drives me nuts in life being like a smaller person, right, is that always seeing like these like I was in high school and there's like these big guys and they're like, yeah, we just uh, and like growing up, I they never phased me. You know, I was just like, whatever, pal, like everyone hits the concrete as hard as anyone else. So to like see that, you know, it was I don't know, it was kind of a little a little rewarding for me. And then Rainey's with the dragon at the end when when she comes up right because you have these people and he's all like yeah look at me i'm the king now great and rainy just comes up from the ground like yeah like you know like you want to be a hot dog you know what you you you, is that what you want because you know i make it right now you know and then she doesn't which is even better right because to me it's like that's like one of my favorite like theories when it comes to conflict in war is like don't kill your enemy you just make them realize that they're weak you know or that they're wrong to like oppose you like i would know like okay well i'm still alive rainies could have toasted me i am not fucking with that woman at all period it didn't matter where whether she killed me or not right because she's gonna get the same thing either i'm dead and i'm not gonna interfere or you're alive and i'm not gonna interfere so I, I just really like that. One last kind of general favorite thing. Does anybody have a favorite costume? I liked the costumes from this season, but for me, I didn't love any of them. I loved Allison stepping into the room in her green dress with the symbolism in the episode where Rhaenyra and Lenor get married, but I didn't love the dress. I will say that the episode before that, actually the marriage proposal episode where Rainey's just kind of strides in and she's wearing comfy clothes, like that's my favorite costume. <laughs> that's it. Rainey's wearing comfy clothes is my favorite costume. Can I say armor wise? Because I, I just love the armor 
in in this season. I, even even the Kingsguard armor was even done beautifully, in my opinion. I mean, it just you could see all the details in it and everything, especially Damon's armor. I just loved where he had like the dragon scale abdomen. It, it made him seem like like I and I probably said it this before. It made him seem like he had like a dragon scale six pack or something. And it was just really well done. And I think the armor just looks so well. And I was totally blown away by it. And I, I think it was great. Harkening yeah. back to episode one. What did you call so, Damon's armor? Yeah. So like in the Final Fantasy games, they have these characters, right? That you put them in. It's like, and they become like dragoons is what it is, which is pretty much like dragon riders or like lancers is what they are. And the way his armor looked, looked right out of it. You know where I'm like, that's awesome. Because you always see those armors and those were like like when you play the online version of the game like that's like what people want because it's like just intimidating armor it looks like you know it's just and when i saw that that was the first thing i thought of and i was like dude hands down favorite armor right here like out of all of the game of thrones i've ever watched i'm like this is it right here that's the armor i want right there. you know in this helmet and it looks goofy but it's like but that's what dragoon armor looks like right it's just kind of like it's a little flamboyant in the sense of it's more show than anything else. So I, I really loved it. And that does hands down favorite. Armor. In the books, the way George R. R. Martin describes their armor is so flamboyant. And they never yeah. did that in Game of Thrones. Because honestly, the armor that is described in the books is like, how the fuck? What are you doing, dudes? So, yeah. But it was necessary, I think, to finally show something gorgeous that we've all been kind of yeah. like, are we ever going to see the thing? Speaking of yeah. armor, though, Rare Royce also. Mwah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That would, that would be my secondary, like, and I only didn't give it my first because she dies so soon. Rip, right yeah, away. yeah. But it's true, well, yeah. There's also the high tower armor, if you remember from the first episode during the tournament, the helmet for the high tower. It was just literally a tower. It was just this big, long tower. It's so it stupid, like, but it's so, so great. dumb. <laughs> well, let me start with just two words. Murder cowl. All right, the murder call stole the show in season the one. Cloak? Yeah, that we have Damon in his murder cloak when he goes with young Renera down into uh, Flea Bottom, and then we see Amon in a very similar stealing, uh, you know, swagger jacking, uh, as the kids would say from from Damon in his murder call. Also, you guys were talking about Rainy or, or armor and didn't mention Rainy's when she uh, crashes the coronation. If, if you're going to yeah. talk about armor, I think that was, to me, the highlight of armor in season one. Her armor uh, in that scene was fucking outrageous. So murder cows and Rainy's are, are my fashion <laughs> items and costumes for uh, season one. Well, for me, I don't know. I thought the costume design was really, really well done. Um I don't know. My answer is kind of lame because I don't even remember the exact episode. I think it was episode 10 uh, right before Rhaenyra is in the room. I think she's in there with her kids and it's right before somebody comes in to tell her what's going on. And she's just wearing this black dress and it just has these threads of like just silver. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. And, And I just thought it was incredibly beautiful. It was a mix of like power and beauty at the same time. Which is everything you want in a female leader, especially in this show. So it is everything we want for our queen, the rival queen. Yes. That's right. I think as a person, like I maybe don't pay enough attention to detail with costumes and stuff. I'm just like, oh my eyeballs like that. Oh, that's a good one to my eyeballs. That's that's fine. We like that. 
But um, I did like her episode one. She's named the heir. Like when she turns around and she has her big headpiece and her big yes. cloak on and her big yes. necklace. Like it's just so heavy and weighty that that's good. Um, and I do like when, again, I think I think it's episode two. I was just trying to look it up. When she goes to meet Damon and she has like the 80s shoulder pads, but they're dragon mm-hmm. scales. Oh, yeah. I was just like, those are badass. I like those. Like, I want those. And I want to know what purple shampoo and conditioner they use. Because if we're talking about <laughs> costumes, we've got to talk about their wigs. And I think the wigs hit straight through. I'm torn uh, about some wigs, but... Allie, I'm with you. Those kinds of details are not something that I normally pay attention to. But I learned yeah. to do so in Game of Thrones just because the evolution of the costumes told a story all by itself. And, and the evolution of the hair. I, ca- I like to call it the hairology. Like uh, with Daenerys, it seemed like a new braid was added every time she like won a battle or whatever, mm-hmm. to the point where at the very end, it was all pulled back into a braid. So so yeah, I've never been one to pay attention to that stuff, but Game of Thrones taught me to do so. I hope we see that a similar evolution over the course of the Can we give a quick honorable mention to Kragas Crab Feeder for being like thrifty on a budget and just using <laughs> what, he, what he can find on shipwrecks and just... Some of us are yeah. babes on a budge, and we got to find an old harpy mask that just washed up with some driftwood, and we just throw it together and cinch it, and then you make it work. So, shout yes, out to Kratos. He was super gross, but so well yeah. dressed in terms of how he was supposed to look. So, well. I mean, the fact that he was wearing wood or clothes or whatever, you know, we got to at least give him that. Be like, hey, you know, at least you got dressed for the occasion. Which is cool. Maybe it's like oh. when you're a kid and you put a hat on and you get lice. Like maybe he ended up getting grayscale because he kept on putting on <laughs> random people's bits of clothing. That's good. That's the last That's so time good. you borrowed denim from a stone man. Yeah. It's not lice, it's crabs. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to get into what is your favorite episode of the season? Hottest hot D episode. Um, so my favorite episode, like I said, is episode eight. It's, it's Viserys' episode for me. I mean, it's totally his episode. I mean, everything that happens building up to that point in his farewell, it was just great. I mean, you would think this was going to be a a fight between, um, Allison and Rhaenyra, but it was mostly Viserys. I mean, you see him even in his weakened state that he, at the end, he is still king he is still a father and he will do what it needs to be done. And even in the end, when he's even being talked down, everyone is talking down to him. Like, especially Otto, when he's like, when he's getting prepared in the morning and he's like, I want supper. He's like, uh, my Lord, it's morning. It's like, no, I know it's morning. You, I want to have a family dinner. That's what I meant. Everyone is already pushed him aside. And he is like, no, I'm still here. I'm still relevant. And what I want is a moment of happiness and peace with my family. And he got that. I mean, like I said, he might, for some, he might have not been a great king. For some, he was. But for me, he did what was right, that he thought he was right by his family. And in the end, all he wanted was a happy, peaceful moment with his family. And he got it. And you could say right then and there, he could say, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. I moved on from this mortal coil and now I will pass on and go from there. And for me, that's why I think Patty should win at least something as an award for what he did in that episode. And honestly, that's why it's my favorite. 
Well, and I know that very soon after the episode where he passed away, Patty Considine posted an Instagram where he was thanking everybody for their kind words. And we've said this before on the podcast, but Martin has said he didn't enjoy writing Viserys, but that the show really did him justice. And I think it's writing, it's directing, but it's also absolutely the acting. And Patty Considine said that he's never loved a character so much. He gives massive love and respect to Brooke Sheehan, who played Emma, his wife, his first wife. And he says that she changed the course of his character. The impact stayed with him until his final improvised words. She unlocked the missing piece of the puzzle for me and allowed my story to come full circle. From the moment Emma dies, so does Viserys. It was a love story. That's the secret that the actor carried with him. As sick as he got, he never himself demanded any cure. He quietly accepted his suffering, never forgiving himself for putting his beloved wife through such torture in her final moments. So I really think that whether or not that was what Martin meant to portray or whether or not that was what the writers meant to portray, the fact that the actor had that in his mind, I think really drove his performance and is super, super important. Yeah, and 9 and 10 were amazing, and I hope this series kind of continues the tradition of episode 9 being the crazy shit. But yeah, I mean, 8 was just on a whole other level. Viserys's final trip to the throne, where he literally dragged himself across that floor and up those steps just, just to defend his daughter, was so heart-wrenching and heartwarming at the same time. It was at that moment that Rhaenys, I think, decided to take Rhaenyra up on her offer with the marriage proposal. Uh, because she saw that the king was actually like defending Rhaenyra as the heir and all that. You gotta love that moment where Vaymond is like, her children are bastards! And she is a whore! I mean, I cracked up laughing. I loved that shit. And then he lost half of his head for it, so I hope it felt good to get that out. <laughs> he did fuck around, and he did indeed find out. But yeah, that final dinner, man, I mean... I am fortunate enough to have known my great-grandfather well into my adulthood. He died a few years ago. He was about 92 years old. And my mom told me that when she watched this episode, she actually got really emotional because I heard my great-grandfather kind of towards the end talking about how he would just love for you know the whole family to just get together one day, just have dinner together and just be cool and chill. And I remember my dad's mom kind of saying the same thing. It's probably a feeling a lot of grandparents have, but he was just so vulnerable in that moment. He took his mask off to just be like, look, look what I have become. I am literally falling apart. All I want is for all of you to get along. And we had glimmers of that. We had people toasting each other and it seemed like for a moment Disaster might be averted, but then good old fellow youth Eamon <laughs> had to open his mouth <laughs> and ruin the whole thing. <laughs> and then, of course, that moment at the very end where, with his dying breath, he just completely fucks everything up inadvertently because Alicent just takes his words completely the wrong way. And you're like, God damn. <laughs> when he, like, reached up. And he was just kind of mumbling and it was like, you could see he was like reaching for some sort of afterlife with someone that he yeah. cared about. Man, yeah. I cried more in that episode than I think I've ever yeah. cried for actual sad reasons and not just being angry hmm. with Game wow. of Thrones. 
Thanks, Game of Thanks. Thrones made me cry, but it was usually me being angry. <laughs> Sansa. Uh, <laughs> and I teared right. up several times during that episode, and that was absolutely sure. that was absolutely just super, super yeah. fucking emotional. It was very, very powerful, and I agree, Patty Considine better win all the awards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't get an Emmy for this shit, when some of the people that like even got nominated for Emmys for Game of Thrones, I was like, tip to why? Like, he better fucking get an Emmy. <laughs> Absolutely. If I had to guess which episode was going to be my favorite episode, I don't know if I have one, but that episode that you guys are talking about is really is my favorite. Like, I was trying to like decide because it was between a few of them. And then when you guys started talking about it, like, it, I was like, you know what? That is my favorite episode like easily just for those reasons you know i mean the way it was and with his family and he just wanted and then towards the end it was like oh my god the seven gods please just let him die like just let him go he had his family dinner you know he finally had it you know what he wanted and it's like just let him go so yeah there's not much i can add to that you guys are absolutely right about that episode that's where i'm going that's my favorite episode if there is an afterlife i hope there's not an afterlife in this world because if so he is looking <laughs> down like why has my wife been showing her feet to this dick hole for how many years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and like what the fuck are my children and grandchildren doing with each other i hope there is Oof. no westerosi afterlife for him to be looking down from above episode eight like i had gigantic tears so many times it was just so good like chest heaving like laying in my bed just like <laughs> so sad. but I think episode three is what really got me in a lot of ways to be like okay this is solid solid stuff like the beginning when Damon's on Caraxes and he's like come out Dre Hall and you can see just like the filming that he's really moving. Like it's not just simply riding a horse. It's intense movements when a dragon is twisting and turning under you and it takes skill. And then to the end of the episode when he goes to do the peace banner and then he's just like pop, 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 zooming around the beach. Like I live on the beach and walking is hard, but he's like running and he's just so fit and the way his hair is flying behind him and the way he like runs in and you know, Drehar's looking around him for the other dragon because he knows like something's going on, but Damon has this excellent plan. Sea Smoke comes out of nowhere with his little beard, his little goatee. Like, I think episode three is really what got me really excited about the show and like really invested in the characters. I will say this yes, if you're writing the windy boy. <laughs> Yeah, he's so long. But I right. absolutely agree with that. Like that episode is what really solidified it for me. Because when they introduced the like crab feeder, I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. We're gonna have three seasons of this before this guy's taken care of. And the fact that they just did it so quick. The other thing that was really cool about that episode is that we actually got Lenor be a real person. Like he has his own dragon. Yeah. He's a Valarion that has a dragon. That's really intense. Like and yep. went over a lot of people's heads, but. You know, it set up the relationship between Damon and Corliss. Like, I just, I loved that episode. I thought it was super, super well done. I'm going to be pretty basic and say, I mean, it, I wish I had guts and I, I could say episode nine, but uh, it's episode eight for me, like everyone else. You know, I think everyone has said it pretty well. The only couple things I, I would add, and one, maybe this is just more stating, obviously, what's already been stated very eloquently by everyone else. But like, I think part of what's beautiful about that episode is seeing Viserys at his weakest be his strongest. And I think that is just in life, sometimes we'll see that. And I think it's something that's really beautiful. And regardless if it's in real life or in art, 
we react emotionally to that. I also loved the scene where Jace asks Helena to dance. And I feel like there was that moment where it was kind of like, fuck, you know, like I married her to this asshole and I could have, like, this is what could have been. I love that. And I also loved, there's the scene with Chris and Cole and Eamon training when Jason Luke like show up and they see him and, and Eamon basically gets the best of Chris and Cole. And I felt like it was very a well done job. It reminded me of Leftovers season two when they kind of explain away everything that happened in like a very short amount of time and they were able to establish Eamon now as this like total badass character that was believable to me. And that moment where he's like, hey, uh, nephews, have you come to train? And it's like, oh, fuck. You know, like you see how the tables have turned for them. And then again, uh, you know, everyone else has, has kind of beaten it over the head. But Patty's uh, performance is just heartbreaking. And also, I would say, I to me, that's my favorite performance for Matt Smith. And he had probably the least amount of words to work with uh, as far as like actual dialogue that he had in the script. I felt what he was doing without anything was just, to me as a brother, very relatable. And I'm an older brother and I'm just turned 40. My body feels like it's falling apart. My my younger brother's very like, still like strong, like bull. And I'm, when we're together, I'm like, oh God, he's probably looking at me like, oh, my poor brother, he's falling. He's like nothing to what he used to be. You know, so I, I see some mirrors and parallels to that. So yeah, but I think that that episode will win a lot of awards. So it's the, a very basic pick. <sighs> yeah, man. God damn it. I was like, maybe I'll go with episode three, where Renera kills the boar and spares the deer and also has a lot of great snarky moments about her dad trying to get her to marry. We get the Bracken and Blackwood random sort of fight. And then I was like, well, what about episode four, King of the Narrow Sea? That one was great too, because I love like Rhaenyra's sort of awakening, like that Edna Pontellier moment from the book called The Awakening. And I thought the good old auto stuff where he finally kind of outs himself as being just gossip girl. But god damn it, if we're talking about the episode that made me feel the most, I think I have to go with the majority vote, which is episode eight. For all the reasons you guys have stated. Like you said, Tommy, it's basic, but Man, I really wanted to choose one of these earlier episodes that I also guess if I was to rate them, I would say episode eight and then episode three and then episode four. But yeah, I think I think favorite has to be has to be that one. And I really did not want to choose that. And you guys forced me to. I hate you all. You're very welcome. I mean, is it basic? Listen, the episode was fucking great. Everything about it was was just... It's true that, like, episode 9 is typically the best episode of the season. And since episodes 9 and 10 were basically two sides of the same episode, it was one side versus another. Like, episode 8 was really episode 9. Like, two sides yeah. of the same coin, shall we say? That's true. And episode nine did have all the foot stuff and the kids' <laughs> death fights. So, I mean, that was very strong. <laughs> one quick question what is your one least favorite thing about this season Footgate. like i hate to say it and i hate to sound so shallow that it's just like this one scene because it really has nothing to do with the context of the scene it has nothing to do with the subject itself it's just the fact that it just took me out like i felt like it was like man you know the writers have done so good with just so little you know like they feed me so little and they let my brain go and then it's like we had to stop there it was almost like gratuitous in a sense 
You know what I'm saying? And this, like, how Allison was, like, really grossed out by it. It was, like, kind of abusive, you know? And I didn't like it. I felt like they could have done that with a lot less, like they've done every other amazing thing that they've done on the show. And with this, it was almost like, I don't know. I feel like when someone is, like, cool, right? Or someone's quiet, and, you know, they're just cool and quiet, right? But when you tell them they're cool and quiet, then they try to be cool and quiet and it turns out being something completely different and that's the way it kind of felt with where it's like they got to that end and they're like dude you're doing really good with so little and he's like oh i am aren't i watch what i do next and then it's like nah mm -mm, nope so here's my flip side of this and, and this is you know a genuine argument for footgate before it happened i felt online there was a lot of allison hate you know where people were just really negative and just i hate allison and, and it harkens back to my point about i think the show graying characters a little bit because and that was one of my questions heading into the season is how are they going to make some of these unlikable characters if not likable at least gray and allison i think turns into this where a lot of what was happening was hard to relate to but all of a sudden seeing her in that moment as a victim you know being manipulated and being kind of i don't know i think it pushed some people and as anecdotal as it is like i would say that after that i saw people kind of viewing her or talking about that talking about allison in a slightly different way or at least th there was a discussion about her in a different way or in a different light after that not everywhere and it wasn't like this overwhelming thing but i, I was seeing them in the different groups i'm in so you know maybe it was an effort to just it, as gratuitous as it was and they probably could have used a more deft or subtle hand but uh i think that's what they were trying to do is victimize her a little bit like to make her more relatable or just more gray in the, the viewing audience's eyes well and i think like maybe humanize i'm kind of tied on my least favorite that's definitely one of them but my problem with Footgate was I don't really love how they made Laris Littlefooter, who is already obviously not a good dude and has a disability involving his foot, be somebody who is obsessed with feet. I felt like that was a little bit like, mm, are we going there? Lazy writing. Yeah. It's hard for me to say that that's my least favorite, but it's definitely up there. It's up there probably slash possibly tied with watching Viserys struggle to kill that stag in episode three. I got what they were trying to do there, but it was so fucking hard to watch. And I listen, I know it's a fucking CGI stag, but I also was just like... I know the point they're trying to make, particularly, you know, as the episode ends and Rhaenyra has killed the boar and has spared the actual white stag. But man, like he's already having a hard time of it. Like he's struggling with his daughter. He's struggling with his wife. He's struggling with good old Otto, who's a fucking piece of shit, trying to get him to marry his teenage daughter to his two-year-old son, etc. And it was like, oh, I know that we needed to see that Viserys could be weak. But I also just hated it. Well, on that thought process with Viserys, I mean, lest we forget, he um, let his wife be cut open so they could pull out his baby. I mean, listen, I got a lot of Viserys love. I got a lot of Rhaenyra love. I got a lot of Damon love. But we can't forget that he sacrificed his wife for a baby that didn't survive. And he yeah. didn't even ask her. She might have been down. A lot of women are like, save my baby. That's fine. But he was just like, babe, stop overreacting. Just, It'll be okay. Just go to bed, babe. Yeah. 
I mean, it was made clear that she would not survive either way. My problem with that scene, yeah, was that he was not honest with her about what was about to happen. She was really scared. In this post-Roe v. Wade world is, hmm. Well, even the juxtaposition of Damon and Lena's, like, situation, right? I think that scene was put in there probably in large part, not only, I mean, because of uh, what we saw earlier. Oh, yeah. And when they asked Damon what he wanted to do, he's like... He gave her agency. Yep. She was going to die either way, but she at least got to choose how she went out. My least favorite moment is not getting a full frontal from Kristen Cole. So that's my least favorite moment. I would like to... (laughs) Okay, I have a new least favorite. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i mean just want to see what that king guy is, is i mean is, is it valyrian steel is are we talking about a bastard sword i don't know i want to see what's going on down there i feel like whatever he's got going on is clearly not good enough for radira to run away across like it's good but it ain't that good that makes me realize we actually got a lot less nudity in this show than we did in game of thrones we also we got to see Matt butt naked. So, yeah, you can have that image in your head. <laughs> we did see penis. I remember it now. <laughs> when Rhaenyra's, like, walking so through the like, pleasure house, and there's that guy that's just, like, laying there looking at her. Yeah, there was nudity, but there wasn't anything like what we saw with Game of Thrones constantly. We didn't need to see, like, Peter Baelish teaching his Play with her all. sex workers how to have yeah. sex with each other. Ugh, God. Ugh. And I just recently rewatched all of Game of Thrones recently, quote unquote, as in Same. like a little bit earlier this year. And I was just like watching that and then seeing this is like, look at how much you can do with so little. I am not against nudity, but the way it they happened in this it, show was maybe classy isn't the word, but I never felt just kind of like uncomfortable about it. Minus the cutting the penis off scene. I mean, that, that, yeah, that was a bit much. But yeah, that, that's exactly how I felt about this entire show. And I think that's why I've liked it so much. I'll probably get, you know, crucified to the stake on this one. But right now it's like, I'm liking it better than anything I saw in Game of Thrones. Just because they literally like, yeah, you can go into like, you know, House of the Night or whatever. And it's like, look, dude, you don't have to show tits and ass and dick like everywhere. You already know where you're at. What's the fucking point of fucking showing it? Honestly, aside from just like a Because shotgun. we want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Show me the tits. Look, I'm, you know, yes, I love a good set just like anyone else, you know. I just feel, you know what, it's like, it's the same way I feel about grotesqueries when it comes to, like, Game of Thrones did that well. There was a lot of things that were super over-the-top fucking gross, right? Like, when they were fighting and all this kind of shit. But it was pushing the story forward. It was trying to show you something, is what it was doing. Not for the sense of the shock value, but of, like, hey, look, this is how fucking brutal this is, or whatever. So I appreciate that, you know, to where it's like, okay, yeah, that's cool. I get that. But when it's there for like gratuitous sake, which is what I felt like a lot of the sex scenes in Game of Thrones was, look, dude, like I'm watching this with my family. I really, I don't really need, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I need my body not to react to this scene right now. In this one, it's like, okay, well, they're just getting the point across of where they're at. And I appreciate that. But like I've always said, and I've said it a few times like throughout the podcast, is that that's what I loved about writers on these show is that they let your brain do the work. They don't do the work for you. The one mm-hmm. time they had the scene with a ton of nudity in Rhaenyra's awakening, it was all consensual. Yeah. It was basically orgies everywhere they turned, but it all was 
consensual, not again, I always harken back to Peter Baelish trying to teach his sex workers how to pleasure each other. And ugh, it's so gross. We can wash our minds of that thought with Chris and Cole's penis. Yeah. For a second, let's yeah. pause. Time out for, for that Kingsguard. Sir Cole of Ausla, is his penis spicy or is it not? <laughs> Not spicy enough. He gets spicy, but not in the good ways. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to say my least favorite, and I'm going to be just throwing this out here because this was pretty hard. I'm going to say the fact that Sir Christian Cole finally told us what the balls on the council were for. And he ruined it for me. For like 10 episodes, we were like, what are the balls for? Why do they have them? Why, why do they need them? And then Sir Christian Cole just ruins it. Thanks a lot, bud. Thank you. They're attendance balls, right? They're like, I can speak when I want to balls. And it kind of reminded me of being in a sorority because I did that thing when I was in college. Yeah, it, it was using them like a yeah, where the term black ball comes from. If for Kristen Cole, it's red ball. Yeah. But um, I, I was mostly laughing because when uh, they were rolling the balls in, in episode nine and when Sir Christian Cole takes the guy and he just smashes his head up there and Sir Harold just pulls out his sword. He's like, that's it. I'm done. We're doing this. <laughs> I've had it with you. And I think it's Jason Lannister uh, or his brother, his twin brother. And he's just like, OK, excuse me. I'm just going to go over here for a second. <laughs> I was cracking up. And then he's like, OK, I'm just going to scoot right back in there. OK, where were we? <laughs> I mean, moment of silence for our kind of useless previously, but eventually loyal Lord Beesberry. Yeah. Okay. So what is the hottest burning question the season left you with? So here's the thing. I have a bone to pick with Tara and Dan because... I was on this here podcast for the very first episode. And at the very end, we were talking about our very favorite parts of the episode. And I noted that I had written down Sir Kristen Cole's name in my notes and drawn little hearts around it. (laughs) And she and Dan knew good and well what was coming and what his whole deal was. And they let me sit there and embarrass myself in front of everybody listening to this podcast. My question is, why is he such a dick? And can someone please kill him? The only theory I have is that that Targussy is just so good that you get one little taste of it. <laughs> and when you're not allowed to have anymore, you just go batshit insane. That's probably and true. Are- to be fair, at that point, what little we have to go from, from Fire and Blood, there's really no explanation as to why Kristen Cole definitely changes sides. There's a lot of like, did this happen? Did this maybe happen? What maybe happened? It's a lot of like, he said, she said, Mushroom said, the Septon who writes the book said, et cetera, et cetera. So we didn't quite know that they would take it this route. That said, that said, (laughs) I mean, we did know that Kristen Cole would eventually be an Allison stan. I mean, honestly, he's hot. He's a hottie. He's a hottie with a body. He's He can fight. He is, but I don't like him anymore. No, he's a fucking incel. He's a 4chan. One of my friends calls him Sir Incelot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lydia, one of our friends from Ice and Firecon, calls him Sir Incelot. So, we didn't quite know the route the show was going to take him in. So, you know. And he is attractive. It's just too bad that he's also like, yeah. if I can't have her, she's a cunt. <laughs> exactly yeah as someone who's not beautiful i've always like had crushes right and the crushes go for like the beautiful bad boy and then i'm like fucking like why don't like what did they see 
I get it now. Like I fucking like this show has made me get it. Like I detest Kristen Cole, but he's so beautiful. I would look past a lot of stuff for Kristen Cole. Like he's so beautiful. It just always seems you have to have like one or the other. You got to either look like Kristen Cole or you can look like a normal dude. And you, you just got to pull like the uh, charm card. You know, you just got to be fucking charming. You just got to be fucking funny. Some it's of us it, do have know. it all. Yeah. Well, okay. Aside from Patrick, the rest of us who have to work at it. Okay. <laughs> it's rare. It's fucking rare. I just want to say that it's rare. Patrick does have it all. For those of you who are listening oh, to this as a podcast, Patrick is a very super attractive person. Oh yeah. That made me breathe my white claw. <laughs> <laughs> my burning question is do Kristen and Allison be boning? Mm. I gotta know. I think no. I think Kristen sees her as like the virginal bride. Yeah. I think if he actually ever did, he would lose a certain respect for her. But like that moment where their faces are four inches apart and they're breathing each other's carbon dioxide. And she's like, for everything you feel for me as a queen. I'm like, that? Hello. I think they definitely want to, but she's like too hoity-toity religious. I wonder how much of his quote unquote love for her as a queen that he has for her is going to affect his decision making. Like, how is it going to affect the plot that he has romantic feelings for her and she most likely has romantic feelings for him that neither of them would really probably act on because she had been married to Viserys and even though she wasn't hot for him, she loved him, clearly loved him and was loyal to him. And that's her value is loyalty in a sense. Like, how is there what seems to me to be a very clearly romantic feelings how is that going to affect their bond their decision making and like what he's willing to do for her based on her whims and thoughts i think that if kristen cole found out that she was showing her feet for laris little butter <laughs> to fap off that he would absolutely be like bye forever bitch i do think there is attraction there for sure but i do also think that he sees her as this obviously not virginal right 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 but he but sees pure. her as this pure, pure yeah. queen that Renera could never be to him because of what happened between them oh, and that is why yeah he's a fucking insult again if i can't yeah. have her she's a cunt i think part of it is just to go against Renera. it could be that simple like allison's is against Renera, so i'm with Allison. that's true but i mean just the whole like you can tell that she spoon feeds him lines like Every woman is the maiden needs to be treated as such. Like, oh, really? Really? Because you call the princess a whore every single day that you're alive. So it's like, he's not really honest with himself at all. They're both lying liars who lie to themselves and each other. I'm not going to lie. Allison, she gained a lot of points for me this season because I'm a huge fan of Rainier in the books and not a fan of Allison at all in the books. But they did good with her. So I'm going to stand by Kristen Cole being a little bitch. But Allison, yeah. she's she's right. she's just a little misguided. I want to see who are we going to see for next season? That's my question. Like, what houses are we going to see? Because right now it's with this season, it's always been the Targaryens and Valerians. And we've only seen like Dragonstone and stuff. And we got a glimpse of like with the Baratheons finally in, in the season finale. But I want to see who are we going to see the Martells, the Starks, you know, like they're one of the biggest houses in, in the show for the series for fans. They want to see, and what else, you know, what other houses we'll see. 
I think the funny part about that is that the Tullys are going to come in for sure. They've already vaguely referenced, I can't remember if it was Grover or Oscar Tully, but in Fire and Blood, Martin was like, I love the Muppets, so I'm going to name a bunch of Tullys after Muppets. So we've got Elmo, Oscar, and Grover, and this is not my burning question, but along the lines of who are we going to see next season, are we going to see Elmo, Oscar, and Grover? And also, does George R. R. Martin sit in his office being like, God damn it, maybe this is a bad idea now that the show is getting... <laughs> Because, I mean, listen, Oscar and Grover, fine, whatever. You can excuse those. But Elmo? Elmo Elmo Tully? So my burning question is, have we really seen the beast beneath the boards? Oh my gosh, that's in my notes as well. I'm with you 100%. I don't think so. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. Thousand percent. One thing I wanted to ask you guys earlier was, did she say anything else that, like, came true? Because I thought the beast in the boards thing did come true. But maybe not. But was there anything else she said that, like... Well, she talks about, like, one of the things, like, weaving threads of, like, green and black, right? Which then, I think, comes true in, like, the actual outfit that her mother chooses and the pitting of the greens versus the blacks. And she also brought up Eamon losing an eye. Yep. We actually talked about this in episode nine is the episode where Helena says the thing about the beast beneath the boards. And we were discussing whether she meant Otto and his spies. And I don't think so. I think that that is something yet to be determined. Thousand percent. And I think they've foreshadowed quite a bit to it in season one. Agreed, agreed. I think they've already shown us quite a bit of what is going to be the reasoning that leads to a fairly large event. I think it just (laughs) seems like Helena had said a certain prophecy and then it came true and then another prophecy and then it came true. Mm. And so then beware the beast beneath the boards. She said, I think twice. And then for, you know, for Rainies to come out on the dragon, Amelie's and almost murk the entire family. I just think it was too obvious. Like, oh, that's the beast beneath the boards. Like to me, no, no, no. I think book readers have an idea of what it might be about. But even aside from that, I just think it simply was too obvious for the show. There ain't no boards there. She came up from the stones. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually a huge conversation in a different podcast. They were talking on History of Westeros. They were like, are there floorboards and castles? And yes, there are. My burning question is, will Lenor come back? And this is something where it's like, I honestly hope he doesn't. I want him to live his life in Essos or wherever he is happily with his lover but they've already brought up sea smoke being riderless and i'm over here just like how did that dragon not follow him because despite the end fight in episode 10 where vagar and Arax are not obeying their riders those are also much shorter bonds than lenor had with sea smoke and also vagar's rider was dead before Amond claimed her. So I'm over here just like, I don't want him to have to come back, but I also feel like he might. Yeah, it just didn't make sense to me. Like it's very much stated in the books. A dragon only takes one rider at a time, period, point blank. They will not accept anybody else. So I don't see how anybody could ride sea smoke if Lenor isn't dead. That bond, she knows he's still alive, right? Yeah, like with Arya and Nymeria saying, go, stay away, stay away, stay away. They're still bonded in their heads. They still dream about each other. 
but mm, she obeyed gotcha. like Namira obeyed Arya. So I get the feeling that Lenor was like, girl, like I gotta go. You gotta stay here. But you know, TTYL, I love you. And Sea Smoke is just chilling here, like, okay, babes, waiting for you any day. But Sea Smoke cannot or should not be able to take another rider while Lenor mm. is alive. And there is a very okay. pervasive theory that solves that conundrum that would also satisfy book readers to a degree, even though timelines don't match up 100%, that we can't also talk about due to spoilery stuff. But there is, in the book, someone who rides Sea Smoke who it would be possible to bring Lenor back as. Yeah, I just don't want them to. I'm mixed on it, because originally I was like very hard no, and the more I've like thought about it, the more I've kind of like maybe come around a little bit. I want him to be happy and like I, Well, it's peaceful. like the Sandor thing. It was for me, I wanted like the Sandor to have the Gravedigger finish. I didn't want him to come back for Clegane Bowl. You know, like I hope in the books that that doesn't happen the way the show does it. I hope he stays on the quiet aisle and just digs graves forever and is, has its peace, right? But uh, the show gave us Clegane Bowl and I think we're going to get like Lenor coming back. And I think we're going to see it potentially in that role. My burning question is what kind of person is Amon going to be? Because the way he comes off and the way he is, it's like, well, and then the fact that he was kind of remorseful when the dragon ate the other dragon. And, you know, you can kind of see that there was a little bit of humanity in him, you know, and sometimes I feel like he does take the concept of being king and like what his status is in there. I feel like he takes it more seriously than most of the uh, other Targaryen kids. But I'm curious to see as to what kind of person he's going to be. I mean, he's clearly, they're making him out to be like, you know, he's definitely going to not be a good guy, which I'm pretty sure he probably won't. But I'm just curious to see how they're going to flesh that one out with his character. Would you say that you perceived him to be more remorseful or surprised when everything happened with Vagar and Arax? Definitely surprised. I would have said surprised more than anything. The way he kind of like looked down at it, I felt like there there was like a little bit of maybe remorse, maybe, but maybe I'm just being idealistic on this one. I think he was trying to play with Luke and like mess yeah. with him and scare him, but like he was like, oh shit, that's the impetus. Like I just ruined everything and Oops, my mom's bitch. So I started mad. a war. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the way I kind of gathered it. it, you know, because it's like, you know, I, I have like a brother and stuff and you're playing around and you're trying to mess with them and then you wind up hurting them for real. And you're just like, oh, no, like I didn't want to do that. Obviously, everyone's going to be pissed off as hell. <laughs> you know, that Key and Peel skit where he's like, you know, I'm fucked up. A Aaron will yeah. in this case, you know, fucked up Aemon. <laughs> um, I, I read a theory that he's just going to be like, okay, he already thinks I'm this huge asshole. So that's just what I'm going to be. And he's just going to be straight evil from now on. How are they going to take it? Like, is this instant of what happened is going to change him to be like, okay, shit, he needs to be more level-headed. and Or is he going to be like, okay, well, if they see me as the fucking monster, I'm just going to fucking be the monster now, you know? So I think that's yeah. my, my, my brain question. That's very similar to Damon in my mind, you know, yeah. like what, like what we're talking about, where a lot, like there's humanity there. And I think the show has brought me more humanity on both characters, to be totally honest, Damon and Eamon, than I saw in the books, because to some degree that I think they are a little bit one-sided in the books, but you know, you see Eamon's, he has the opportunity when he's there with baby gone and he's you know he's like i don't want it you know and he's you know and, and amon's there's this moment where it's kind of like again like the idea of being a brother is very prevalent throughout this because you have the relationship between viserys and, and damon as well but yeah you know i think that you see and as you guys are saying there's remorse and surprise in that moment he's teased as a kid i you'll give a lot of credit to the child actor who played amon 
yeah. because I think he brought humanity and in instance where we don't get a lot of time to really connect with these characters, these younger characters, you know, I did feel Raymond a little bit. So I don't see much of a difference. I don't separate him and, uh, and Damon very much. Yeah, I think there's a lot of second son themes that work for both of them. The difference is with Damon, he might not have loved the way his brother ruled, but he did love his brother. And I think there's no love lost between Amond and Baby Gone. I'm guessing that that could come around in season two. I mean, we're going in like full on theories because a lot of things that have happened in the show have not necessarily negated the things that were written in Fire and Blood, but they're different enough that it can be its own animal. And I don't disagree with that. You know, I see a lot of love for his family, you know, in that scene between him and Baby Gone. And then with his mom just or maybe it's i don't know maybe i'm mistaking love for duty to family but i don't know there's something there that's admirable that that i think is deep down there i think he has love for his mother and his sister for sure i question whether or not he actually it might be a thing where he has love for baby gone but he doesn't respect him at all And I think that that is a problem in and of itself. That said, let's rate this season as a whole on a scale of one to 10 Targ eyebrows. I tried my hardest to really pull an eight out of 10, a nine out of 10. And I know it's going to sound dumb, but to me, it really was a 10 out of 10 for me. I mean, it really was the way I connected with the character. And I, I literally like... I even watched other people's reviews to try to like level myself and to be like, okay, you're just hyped up right now. Like calm down, you know, like it's like, I just needed someone to like talk me down. Right. Because I was just so high where I was okay. Let me just listen to other people's things so I can listen to other people's like fucking critiques and their critiques. I was listening to, I was like, bro, like your year is full of shit. You didn't even watch the show. And honestly, the connect that I felt with the characters, the fact that I can remember their names is really like for me, because I'm not like a super smart guy. I wish I was, I'm not a book guy. I'm a, and the, and the name, in game of thrones when people would talk people would like oh in that episode they would say this person and i'm like oh, who was that just what house was it yeah and like, are you talking about whom are you talking about you know i'm just like oh okay and then i would remember be like okay and i'm not talking about the main characters obviously i remember all the main characters but like when they would start talking about other characters i'm like i i, I don't know like i know i just watched it 10 minutes ago but i have no idea who you're talking about so i think that with this one it really it's almost like if the person who wrote the show was like writing like something to like court me, you know, he was like, I really want to get Manny's attention with this one because, you know, he didn't like the last season of Game of Thrones and I want to win him back. Like he dumped me and like, I really want to do everything I can. And they really like reeled me in because if it wasn't for this podcast, honestly, I probably, I didn't know if I was going to watch it. Like I saw the trailer and I was like, yeah, it fucking looks cool, but I, I just don't care anymore. You know, like I was just done. I was like, I don't fucking care. Like I'm not gonna get attached to a show, watch it for seven seasons, and then you just take a shit on it at the end. And it's like I don't want to fucking do it. But they really reeled me in, man. And they had characters that I did not like, like Matt Damon. And then 
five episodes into, I'm just ready to just give up everything and be like, look, just take me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was just like, and this was a person who I fucking hated, you know? And even someone like Viserys, when he first came out, I was like, oh, this guy's a kind of fucking pushover, whatever. He's not going to be a good king to where it got to the episode where it's at the end of his life. And I'm like, and I really fucking connected with his character. It's some of the best writing, honestly, that I've seen since, or the most excitement I've had for a show since I watched Battlestar Galactica. Know? And that's like a bold statement for me because I was so into that fucking show, like so into it. And the fact that this one is like pulled me in. And like I said before, I know people would hate me. There's look, there's a lot of characters and a lot of like good things that I felt like Game of Thrones really could have got because they had such amazing characters and all this kind of stuff. But I'm like, look, dude, I'm sorry. You know, House of the Dragon really has me sucked in. And maybe after it's said and done and then I watch Game of Thrones after, maybe I'll appreciate it more. Right. Because now I get a little more about the history and stuff. They filled uh, in all the eyebrows for you. They filled in all the eyebrows for me. I have to say that this has been a great season. It has reignited my passion and love for the series pretty much because if you watch game of thrones all the way up to a certain point it was going up and up and up and then all of a sudden it just started going down 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 and i have to say house of the dragon has reignited it it's back up again for me and i don't want to go too crazy on it i love the show but i'm going to give it a nine out of ten targaryen eyebrows because i feel that this series is gonna draw in new people it's gonna bring back old people you know so and i can't wait for season two i'm just look, really looking forward to it i'm full hype and i'm not ashamed of it at all i'm going like 25 out of 10 targ eyebrows i think they did such a tremendous job that's a I lot mean, of eyebrows 35 55 110 like you can't stop me i think they did so good i mean the source material is kind of hard to work with like it's the characters are kind of unrelatable. It's very factual and it's a lot. Like season one, we're going from King Jaehaerys alive at the Great Council and all the way we're ending with his great-grandson's death via a, another great-great-grandson. Like they did so well. I mean, Viserys is really not even a likable or understandable character. And Patty, we all have discussed, did such a great job. And Damon, like, I do not like Damon in the books. He's really just kind of yucky and icky and you kind of don't respect him. And he's kind of a warrior and that's wonderful, but he's so amazing in the show. And Matt Smith killed it. I did not have high hopes. I really did not think Matt Smith was, Matt Smith was going to do as good of a job as he did. But even like Alicent in the book really comes across as just power hungry and like, a rude bitch but she's so well-rounded in the show she has such a great breadth of character and Rhaenyra is just kind of a hard ass she's more like the set Rhaenyra came off as so soft such a good mother such a good woman wanting to be queen and save the world from this great evil dread and the fact that they had to go through all of these time jumps and keep us interested and knowing the names of these characters and knowing who's who who's related to who we got these dragons the cgi was amazing i think the things they added adding in the prophecy like took my breath away as a reader i could go on i could go on i could go on but i would give it one million uh targ eyebrows just given that i expected it to have about two targ eyebrows so it's really just like, I think they did such a good job. Yeah, it's a 10 for me, dog. I mean, and th it's so rare to give anything a perfect score, right? But sh this show really blew it out of the water. And I'm a cringe level fanboy of Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones. I love season seven and eight. I don't care who wants to fight me. But 
I am always skeptical about any kind of spinoff or prequel or sequel. I, I always am like, why can't we come up with some original ideas? But this is how you do a prequel correct. This is how you do a spinoff correctly. I mean, it was amazing. I, I loved the whole journey we went on from these two like little girls just like laying in each other's laps, studying history, to they are about to start in Civil War. <laughs> I just and how we got there the time skips were done really well I'm a huge fantasy nerd in general and so I did watch The Witcher and the first season of The Witcher they don't just do time skips they jump back forth sideways all over the place I was totally lost totally confused the whole time this show is how you do time jumps it was just beautiful it was beautifully done the only complaint that I could possibly have come up with was that I wish that they had, what I said earlier, I wish they had bridged Rainey's hating Rhaenyra to Rhaenys being like, you go girl, Rhaenyra. I wish they had bridged that a little bit better, but that is not nearly enough to like deduct. So it's a 10 for me. So I feel like a little bit of a curmudgeon now after hearing everyone, but an 8.375 is where I'm rating it. So <laughs> here's why. A, I want to leave some room for improvement. I find it hard to give a first season a 10, right? Just in general, I don't want to do it. I want to give a show room to improve. I already talked about Luke's death falling a little short for me. In large part, as I said, it's because I don't feel like we got the time we deserved with uh, all the baby Strongs, all the baby Targs. I would have liked to have gotten to know them. I would like to see Harwin as a dad a little bit more. Not, not even as a dad, but even just him and Renera's relationship developed a little bit more than we got to see. And I think I, there was an excellent point raised by Patrick just a second ago with Rainis and Renera. And I would have liked to have seen a little bit more development, especially in the way of just, if we're not going to see Lenor down the road, if you're not going to give us that, give us a scene with Rainis and Renera where at least Rainis knows that her one of her children is still alive you know and i'd like to and i think to me that would have gone a, a very very long way um i think we could have had a couple more weird uh uncomfortable foot scenes for manny that would have worked very well for everyone on the panel i think how about some original intro music i know that was something that everyone kind of talked about at one point like That's that could fair. have been an improvement as well um and you know what? And I'm, again, I, I don't want to harp back to the whole idea of like, you know, like I would have liked a couple more episodes like everyone else, right? Like that's a pretty, again, if that's your gripe, you did a good job as a show. Um, but like the young, the young actresses and actors uh, did such a tremendous job. And I know everyone was so heartbreaking to, heartbroken to see them go. I could have used a couple more episodes with them to be totally honest. And that's why I don't give it a 10 or that's why I'm leaving it at 8.375 uh, with some room to breathe and grow. I really have high hopes. I think it was done tremendously well. You know, it was an awesome show. It really was the one thing I looked forward to, you know, like more than anything at the end of a week. I will say that for my part, I agree, first of all, about the theme song and somebody tried to argue with me about that where they were like yeah but they're trying to create like their own universe the game of thrones universe so if, of course they're going to use the same theme song and i'm just over here just like like you aren't marvel you aren't star wars no i'm disagreeing with that that said i will give it a solid 9.5 out of 10 i really fucking loved it 
Okay. I think anybody who has listened to this podcast for the past 10 episodes can see here that I absolutely love this show. I agree with you, Tommy. I think there's some things that were a little bit weak. The Rainies just all of a sudden deciding to side with Rhaenyra. The question of what's going to happen with Lanor is still up in the air for me. I really do not like the Lyris Littlefooter thing still to this day. I will never like it. And this is not kink shaming. This is just me saying I don't like the way it was portrayed for several reasons. Go back and listen to episode nine of this podcast if you want more on that. But yes, I give it a solid nine and a half out of 10. The text that they had to work with was so little and they did so much with it. And I am forgiving a whole lot of stuff that happened, including the constant fucking time skips because there were like three, right? There was like the six month one, then the three year one, then the like all of a sudden the kids are adults one. But Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I'll be honest, I did not feel this way about Game of Thrones since like season three. Honestly, I loved season one. I did not like season two very much. I really liked season three. And then after that, it was kind of like a constant downhill for me. Not that I didn't enjoy things about season four, but I'm really, really hoping that they continue on this road of improving on the mistakes they made with Game of Thrones. So yeah, solid nine and a half out of 10, which honestly for me is a high rating because I am the person who's the tagline in my Yelp profile for the longest time was like, I don't give five stars, deal with it. So nine and a half high for anyone. Um, has anybody else had to question their sexuality or relationship status? By the way, Emma Darcy says Spagliato with Prosecco in it. <laughs> or is that just I had to question a lot of my sexuality throughout this entire show. I'm just yeah. gonna say that, put that out there right there. It, it, my stance on Chris and Cole hasn't been firm enough. I think many people are questioning my sexuality at this moment. I have one question. Did Viserys ever finish his Lego set? <laughs> No. No. I think that was supposed to be a work in progress. I don't think Viserys ever finished his Valerian Lego set. And in terms of questioning one's sexuality, honestly, I am pansexual. So I did not have to question my sexuality because I was like, I am attracted to every single one of you, except for Kristen Cole when he became an incel and Lara's little footer because he was gross from the beginning. But Harwin Strong, aka number one baby daddy forever, and Renera. I, yeah. I just want Emma Darcy saying Spagliato as my like ringtone and alarm. And just the thing that I have every time something beeps, I just want to hear Spagliato with Prosecco in it. I will say that Rainey's, she's older, but I was like, mm-hmm. she's just got that presence, you know? And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like to me, like it doesn't matter how old you are or like anything like that. I mean, obviously, like older, I'm not talking about like super young or anything, but if you just have that fucking presence, like I'm sorry. If Rainey's knocked on my door tomorrow and was like, you're going to come with me and you're going to help me do things and I'm going to be your woman, then what would I say to that? Yes, 
Emma Darcy could get cast as Pony Boy for The Outsiders tomorrow, and I wouldn't bat an eyelash. I'd be like, that's a beautiful, that's a a fucking really awesome casting. I also just love that Emma Darcy is non binary. I'm not sure how I feel about like the whole dance kind of being set off by these, you know, uh, Allison misconstruing Viserys's last words and that dragons not obeying their masters with Aemon and Luke. Just in general, like I'm, I haven't settled on that. I was like much more firmly entrenched, and I don't like it at like in the immediate end of the series. But I'm gonna give it some time to stew. I'm not sure how I feel about it. As we close out this episode, we just want to give a shout out to our guest and also heroes to your patron, Tommy of the TKOK Podcast Network. Thank you so much for supporting us. And thank you to Allie, Jason, Patrick, Tommy again, and to our listeners for joining us for Hot D Takes. We hope to be back in the future for more House of the Dragon coverage, but for now, stay tuned for future Geek Saga podcast episodes, including recordings of some of my panels from DragonCon 2022 and more. Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con. 